0: So uh, I have to ask, how many people went to the show last night? Some of you? I don't know if I'm just getting old, but uh, when Florence and the Machine was on the stage, all I could think about is, what would it have been like to have raised her? Because she's just so dramatic, you know? Like, sit down, Florence, we're going to have peas for dinner. Not peas! I... Yeah, it was beautiful. Today, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and the reason that we're doing this is we are, we're systematically going through this entire book, and we're studying its verses and, and its whole, and so we've just been kind of plowing our way through it this summer, and we've come to uh, chapter 11, and we're jumping a little bit uh, because we, sh- we should be on eleven one. But uh, we're jumping over that because later in the chapter, he talks about communion. And since this is Communion Sunday, I thought it'd be appropriate for us to go to that section. Plus, in chapter 14, he's going to be talking about the same thing. And then we'll come back and cover that, okay? So those of you that are keeping records. And so we're going to talk about what this table is. And what is this? Now, I don't know what your experience is with communion or the Lord's table, Uh, But when we come to this table, are we coming to get fresh forgiveness? Like, is is this like forgiveness, like, that has kind of turbo boosters on it? That when we come and eat the bread and drink the blood, we get more forgiven here than we do on our knees, you know, like at our office or, you know, or when we're just praying in the shower or something like that? Is that what this is? Is this like when we come up here, are we re-sacrificing Christ? Like, is this a literally we're shedding his blood and, you know, tearing at his body uh, again? It's kind of gruesome. Like, is this the real blood and body of Christ? Do we somehow sprinkle religious mojo over this bread and it really becomes the flesh of Jesus and that cup is the blood? Some faith traditions believe that. We don't believe that here. You know, is this uh it's kind of like, is this kind of like magic? Is the table magic? Well, let's unpack what it is. Because God has really given us something very special through communion. Matter of fact, He's given us something that we can touch, we can smell, we can taste, we can get up and move toward it, that we participate in what's happening here at this table. In fact, here's how I want you to think about it as we unpack the biblical understanding of it. It's like a kiss. And I'm not talking about like that junior high kiss that you stole on the playground, you know, where you know you fill in the blank of the name, you know, nobody was looking and y'all stole a kiss. This is not a stolen kiss, all right? This isn't this isn't also this isn't a first date kiss. You know, where you kind of push past the unknowing of one another, just to experience kissing another person's lips, you know? Thinking that somehow or another, because you bought dinner, you can actually go in for that kiss, you know? This is not that... I want you to think of this as like two 90-year-old people kissing. Oh, yeah, that's gross to you now, but wait about 60 years, you know? Yeah. Here's how I want you to understand, because when two people that are 90 years old have been married for 60 years... When they kiss each other, when they grab, you know how your grandmother grabs your face, you know? And, you know, and you think, oh, that's cute. That's what old people do. No, you know, what's beautiful about what your grandmother is doing is she is looking at you. She is like, look at me. And when two 90-year-old people kiss, you know what that kiss is? That's a knowing kiss. That's not pushing aside the unknowing. That's pushing through the knowing and saying, I still want to kiss you. I still want my lips next to yours. I fully know you. I know all the flaws. My grandmother used to say about my grandfather, she goes, I wouldn't give you a nickel for a truckload just like him. (laughs) But I wouldn't take a million dollars for the one I got. And what does that mean? I remember when Renee and I were dating, uh, well, we were kind of dating. It's a weird story. But we were the non-dating daters, all right? I said, hey, why don't you go with me up to my grandparents' house? And we're sitting at my, kitchen, my grandparents' kitchen as she's making those biscuits that uh, every time I smell biscuits, I think about my grandmother, which is a lot like communion. And we'll talk about that in a minute. <clears throat> and she's looking at us, and she's going, so when are y'all going to get married? We're, we're just friends. She knew because she could see. Okay, well, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Um, through 26. Let's read it. For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's unpack that a little bit. Because the first thing it says up here is that on the night he was betrayed. What was the night that he was betrayed? Well, Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, and they were celebrating Passover. And as a part of celebration, they were celebrating the Passover dinner. And isn't that a coincidence that Jesus and his disciples would be celebrating Passover when he's also about to institute a new uh, sacrament for the church? And isn't that just like Jesus that he took advantage of just like the right illustration at the right time? He was just the master of, oh yeah, that reminds me of God. You know, have you ever been with anybody, everything reminds them of something spiritual? You think Jesus was that way? Like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of Deuteronomy 3. Yeah, dude, it's just a hamburger, all right? That's not what Jesus was doing, and that's not what Jesus was. Matter of fact, Jesus was intentional about everything that he was doing, and the fact that he brought the Passover and brought it into the Lord's table is very significant, but we have to go back to understand what's significant about it for us to go forward to embrace it today. See, what I want you to grasp is that all of Scripture is the history of redemption. In other words, that from Genesis to now, God is telling a story that's one story. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, when Adam and Eve was getting thrown out of the garden, God said to Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike it as heel. What does he mean? That there's going to come a day where the son of Eve is going to be born who will crush the head of Satan. In that one verse, God was saying the wheels are in motion. Something's coming. Do you see it? Redemption is on its way. And everything in the Old Testament is pointing to something bigger than itself. That's why Jesus said, And John, he said, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. And when he says Scriptures, he's talking to a Jewish crowd. He's talking about the Old Testament as we understand it. And he says, these are the very Scriptures that testify about me. So what Jesus was saying was that the whole Old Testament exists to prepare the stage and to testify that there is one coming. The one is coming. Then in John chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus said, If you believed in Moses, and he's talking to the Pharisees, these Jewish leaders of the time who understood the Old Testament, if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. Jesus said Moses wrote about Jesus. Well, if you want to research that, you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where you read some of Moses' writings, where he is talking about he is coming. He is on the way. He's coming. And the Old Testament set the stage. And so it brings us to Passover. What happened at Passover? Well, you may be familiar with the story of where all the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt for 400 years. And then God sent his deliverer, Moses, to go and demand of Pharaoh, let my people go. And it was time for them to come out of captivity and go to the promised land. And this season where God is rescuing his people was a season of tremendous miracles. It was when he sent the plagues, if you remember this, if you've studied this or you've watched movies about it, where he sent the plague, you know, of the blood and the frogs and the lice, the locusts, darkness, flies, boils, isn't that a great word, boils? You know, you think about this. How did God come up with these ten things? I mean, seriously. Okay, guys, uh, let's have some ideas. You know, well, I think we need to send some salamanders. No, I I think frogs are better. You know, they kind of leap. They. I I mean, think about what. Anyway, and then He sends hail to destroy the crops. But the final plague is what brings us to the Passover, because the final plague was not frogs. It was not lice which are horrible, and if you have children, you've had them. Uh, The last one was the angel of death, that the firstborn of every family was going to die that night. This is serious stuff. And the Lord told Moses, he said, go back and tell your people that the only way that they're going to be able to avoid the death of their firstborn tonight is to take a spring lamb, a young lamb without blemish, They need to slaughter him and sacrifice him and take his blood and put it on the doorpost at the head and on both sides. Great picture, isn't it? At the head and both sides, then they're to cook what's left and they're to eat that lamb, but they're also to eat bread that has no leaven in it. Meaning, we don't have time for this bread to rise that we are preparing to leave. We are people that are living in the promise. So they were fully slaves. Nine plagues had not worked. Full slaves. They were told, now dress, pack everything, and as you're eating this lamb, and as you're drinking this or eating this bread, you need to have your backpacks on your back. You need to have your staff in your hand. You need to be fully dressed because we're going. They're still slaves. And so they feast on a promise that the angel of death will pass them by and that they'll be free. Well, you know the rest of the story. The angel of death came through and it was so horrific that Pharaoh finally said, you can go, get out of here. Then he changed his mind and the whole red scene thing, you know, happened and then the desert and all that. But what Passover is the celebration of is the final plague that broke the camel's back that caused Pharaoh to say, Go pass over? Would death pass over us? So when the Jewish community would gather together in the days of Christ to celebrate Passover, they would have all these ceremonies and foods, and, you know, they would drink the cup of bitter herbs to remember that bitter time of their ancestors. They would do this to remember, and as they would gather together to celebrate this Seder or this Passover service, you know, then they would have cups on this table, four cups on the table to celebrate passover four cups of wine the first cup was considered the cup of sanctification meaning that god says i will bring you out from under the burden of the egyptians so as a part of the dinner ceremony and remember jesus and his disciples are celebrating this they're sitting at the table they all knew this you know their generations 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 every passover they'd all travel to jerusalem to celebrate this dinner So they were no stranger to what was going on or what the cups represented. So the first cup, they're drinking and they're remembering, and this is the cup of sanctification, that I'll bring you out from underneath the burden of the Egyptians. The second cup was the cup of judgment or deliverance. And it was based on God's statement, I will deliver you from slavery to them. So they're celebrating and they're doing all the things that a good Jew would do at Passover. And then they came to the third cup. And this is the cup that Jesus picked up and said these words. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. What was this cup? And why would he choose this cup to say, Passover we celebrate no more? There is a turning of the page. Something is happening at this moment. Everything you've known about the Passover up to this point is over. Because the third cup was the cup of redemption. It was the cup of saying, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. In other words, it was the cup that said, there will come a day that the one will show up. And he will re- he'll unite us all, the nation of Israel. And he'll bring redemption to everyone. And Jesus, when he picked up this cup, and he said, this cup is my blood, he was saying, I have arrived. I am here. See, the Old Testament was a shadow of the reality. The lamb that was slaughtered to put on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over was just a shadow of the true lamb, which was Christ. Paul calls him that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he was to come lay down his life to give us not freedom from the Egyptians, but true freedom. His death, His blood, rescues us from the kingdom of darkness. See, in this kingdom of darkness, nothing works. Nothing works. My goodness, my religion, my own efforts, they all fail to give me true life. I cannot escape me. It's like going to a funeral. And you go, and there's the body in the coffin right there in front of you. And all of us saying, uh... We really want him to get up and address the crowd. Come on, get up. You're so lazy. You're just laying there. Get up. Do something. That's like asking someone on their own efforts to to ascend to God or to become their own redemption or asking religion somehow or another to mend the gap between mankind and God. It can't do it any more than a dead person can stand up and say, I'll officiate my own service. You can't do it. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come to the place that is dead as the one who has life. He had to come to the place that was dark as the one who was the light. And it was only the one who was the light that could come and bring light into the place that was dark. But for him to do that, he had to sacrifice his own life. He had to become the lamb that was slain for us to know what life is and for us to know what light is. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So when Jesus took the Passover table and said, now it's becoming the communion table, what he's saying is the Passover has been fulfilled. The true lamb has arrived. So when we come and we feast on this table, we remember. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our good deeds. Our hope is not that we go to church every Sunday. Our hope is not that we're in Bible studies. Our hope is not that we pray a lot and God sees that and says, okay, ching, you're going to be great in your job. You know? or you're going to pass that test, you pray, and that's going to give you that little extra 10% bonus bump. You know That's not what we're trusting in. What we're trusting in is one thing, Christ died for me, so that when I stand in front of the Lord and he goes, why should I ever let you into my kingdom? I will point to the cross and say, because he purchased my way in by his blood, and that's the only answer I have. That's it. That's all I got. Because if you're going to look too closely at this mess, you're not going to let me in. I wouldn't let me in. But he redeemed me. He made me whole. He rescued me from myself. Isn't that beautiful? So I stand before the Lord and I go, I am a wrecked mess. Matter of fact, the closer you look at me, the more the mess I am. And guess what? So are you. That's why we are afraid of letting anybody get close. Because the closer they get, the more they see how inconsistent you are with what you say is true and how you really live. We think there's no way anybody could see that and really love me. That's why this is the 90-year-old kiss. You get it? Because Jesus comes really close and he goes, oh, guess what? I see it all. And I loved it so much I gave my life for it. I am your lamb that was slain for you so that you may know life. So when we come and put this stuff in our mouth and we taste it, we remember that God is looking at us and he is saying these words, you are so beloved by me that you were the treasure that I found, that I gave up everything for to get. That wrecks us, doesn't it? It wrecks us. But there's more to this. It's not just him kissing us. It's also, are we willing to kiss him? Let's go to the next uh, passage. Because it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That doesn't sound good, does it? A man, and women, you're not off the hook here, all right? And a woman ought to examine herself, just for you ladies, before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup, we need to examine ourselves. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That means you're dead. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that he will not be, we will not be condemned with the world. Really? Do you hear what Paul is saying? uh, The way you come to this table, if you come inappropriately, some of you are going to get sick. Really? Wow. Some of you are going to get weak. Some of you might even die. We don't believe that. This is church, man. Quit bringing God into it. Come on. Why would Paul say this? Well, Paul's not just making this up. Paul is attributing things that are going on in the lives of these people in Corinth because of the way that they're coming to the table. We're going to talk next week about the way they were coming to the table and they were getting trashed. It's funny. It's crazy, you know, story. And we're going to to talk about that next week. But Paul is saying God's judging them. I thought Jesus set me free. Well, let me put it this way. When we come to this table, We're not coming to a cup of grape juice or a little crumb of bread. We're not just coming to a kneeler and a cushion and wishing that we didn't have so many songs to sing. We are coming to a person. That's what we say as Christians. We are coming to this table to meet Jesus. It's kind of like if somebody calls you up and says, Hey, I'd love uh, for you to come over for dinner tomorrow night. And there's somebody, you, you know, you actually like, so you don't go, yeah, it's great, sure. We got, okay, we'll be there. And you go home and tell your wife, you committed to what? You know, but we really want to go, okay? And so we're driving over to their house for dinner, and they, they call us, and they go, hey, man, are you on your way? And you say, yeah, we're on our way. You say, oh, you're not going to believe this. Uh, we're not going to be here when you get here for dinner, all right? because we've got something else going on, but we went ahead and made you dinner, and we've got it out by the mailbox. It's right on the curve, so y'all can just pull up and just grab the food and take it and go home and eat it. What would you say? What? What? See, when we go to somebody's house for dinner, we don't go because... We're just, we're just looking for a place to get some food. You know, we're going to fellowship. We're going to be together. We're going to see. We're going to wonder, how deep will this conversation go? How much of me will you see? How much of you will I see? You know, and to have fun and to hang out and to do those kind of things. We come to be with somebody. And Jesus at this table is calling us to himself. What does that look like? Well, let me make it simple, and I'm going to wrap this up. Have you ever been in the airport, and, uh, you know, and you're coming off a long flight, and then you hear the scream, and you know what's about to happen, you know, the, the couple that's just running through the airport toward each other, you know, in slow motion, and they're throwing off bags, you know, and it's young love, and they're like, yeah. You know, you've seen this, you know, and they embrace and, you know, they're just, you know, munching it there in the um, in the airport. And you're all going, ah, oh, that's so corny. Why isn't anybody doing that for me? You know, I hate that. I would never do that unless there was, you know, you know what I'm talking about? is that kind of stuff where you hate it, but you would love it if somebody could not. They just couldn't contain themselves. They see you at a distance and they just got to run into a sprint. And they were older than three years old. You know, that would be... But go back into the story for me and imagine the guy that's coming off the plane and he sees her and his eyes are filled with love and tears are streaming back as he runs, you know, and he embraces her and he kisses her and then he sets her aside. He starts running again and he sees another girl and embraces her and kisses her and throws her aside and then he sees another girl. He's just working his way through the terminal and all these girls that he loves and that love him are embracing him and going, no, stay. And he just keeps going all the way down the terminal until he's in the parking lot and he gets in the car alone and drives away. That's absurd, isn't it? That's what Jesus is talking about here. I know. (laughs) Trust me, I can pull this out. (laughs) Because we're laughing, because we know that's not love. That's some perverted guy that's abusing his relationship with women. And we laugh about it because we say, that's so absurd, that would never happen. Well, that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, I'm not one of many lovers in your life. When you come to this table to experience my kiss, will you kiss me back? This is a table where we come and not just remember what he did for us, but we come to proclaim that he is the Lord of my life, that you and you alone are who I need to embrace. You're the only one that I run to. You're the only one that I hold. It's like, you know, we run this race not because we need to win, Jesus says the race has already been won. We run this race because it's already won. And I know that's bizarre in this world because we spend so much of our energy out there in that place running to find love. And so we're so motivated by doing things to get what we think we need to find life. And Jesus is saying, no, when you come to this table and experience my kiss, that 90-year-old kiss that knows you, that knows you, that knows you, and you kiss me back, guess what? Now you don't live to find, you live because you found. And that's the difference with us as the church, that we go out into this world not as those that are hungry, hoping that somewhere out there someone's going to run toward me and make me feel full. We go out into that world because we are the ones that are full. And because we're full, we can go out and enjoy this world like those who are empty can never enjoy it that I can enjoy the show last night and I can enjoy music and I can enjoy my time with my friends, not because I'm demanding from them, fill me up because I'm so empty. Please, somebody run through the terminal and hug me and kiss me. No, I can enjoy the world because the one who hugged me and kissed me is walking with me as I'm going through the terminal. That's why the last couple of weeks we've been talking about we got to put down our idols because the idols are the joy killers. They're the ones that come and rob from us the things that Christ only gives to us. See, Paul put it this way. I want to know Christ. Yes, the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So that's why Paul is saying, through the Lord, be careful when you come to this table. Because if you come to this table holding the hands of all your false lovers, If you come to this table and say, yeah, this is a small thing. This is nothing. I grew up doing this all the time. Yeah, I'll go take communion. When you come to this table and you say, he doesn't demand my all. He just wants me to come to this table. Isn't he lucky to have me? When we come to this table like that to where we go, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me, and he goes, kiss me back, and I go, no thanks. That was great. I got other things to kiss. You know what I'm talking about? When we come to this table and we say, you can have this much of my life, but the rest of my life belongs to me. Keep your hands off. If we come to this table like that, Jesus says, you know that's not love. You know it. Just like the guy running through the terminal. You know it. You don't think he knows it? And that's why the Lord's judgment at the bottom is his discipline. It's like, I don't let my kids eat dog food. And they feel like it's discipline when they reach in the dog food bowl and go, food. And I grab their hand and go, no. Why can't I have what I want? I just want dog food. I got better food, come to the table. It feels like discipline to them, but in fact, it's love. And so the Lord says, when you come to this table, this is your opportunity, come and kiss the Lord. So we proclaim. See, and this is just the killer, and you hear it all the time here. You want to know how to glorify the Lord? satisfied in Him. Isn't that crazy? It was St. Augustine who used to say, you know that whole passage of love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul? Well, he was teaching on that and he goes, here's the, the motto for our lives. Love the Lord, go do what you want. Isn't that beautiful? When the Lord's love satisfies me, I'm free now to go live in that love. We remember, we proclaim. So why would the Lord do this? Through bread and through wine and through this ceremony that we're about to go through. Is it a memorial? No. It's an experience where we come to this means of grace. Why does he do this? (laughs) Because we're crazy. That's why he does it. We're nuts. I mean, seriously. I mean, think about it. I lose my sanity. And it's moments like this where I pause long enough to let somebody look at me and go, you know what love is. Come on. Let go of your lover's hands and come here and let him kiss you, but kiss him back. It restores us to our sanity. It makes us go, oh, oh, yeah, now I remember what this life is about. Oh, oh, yeah, now I remember what's driving me. Now I know what... I'm living for, oh, yeah. And the Lord knows that about us. That's why he says, remember, remember, remember. Say this final thing. A covenant was made with us through the cross and through the resurrection of Christ. That covenant had lots of promises tied to it, like I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. God has taken vows to us through this covenant. When we come here, it's a covenantal renewing act, as Jesus said up here. It renews the covenant. It reminds me afresh his kiss of me. It's not unlike a couple who's married together and 90 years are senior, and they're looking at each other and, and they grab each other's faces and they kiss and they join their lips together and two become one. And the covenant that they made 60 years ago is renewed in the touching of their lips. Isn't that beautiful? That they share an intimacy that's not vague, it's not naive, it's not young. It's an intimacy that is rich with knowing and saying, I choose to love you. That's a covenantal renewing act of the vows they took 60 years ago. Our table here, 2,000 years ago, Our Savior gave his life. He says, come and feel my kiss and let me kiss you. So let me pray for us and then we'll begin this, okay? Lord, thank you. I think how patient you are, how loving you are, how merciful you are to come so far to kiss us. The price That was paid so that we can know your lips and your promises and your word. That we would be your bride. That we would be married to you. So, Lord, help us to remember at this table. Help us, Lord, to proclaim. To be kissed and to kiss back in Christ's name.